music this time of year. You can uh, do a search for Sovereign Grace Ministries. That's one of their songs. It's a hymn by uh, Charles Wesley. Is it Charles or John? Probably Charles that they've redone. And they, they have several ones like that. Very good, theologically rich worship songs for the month of December. I highly recommend those to you. Again, that's Sovereign Grace Ministries if you want to look at that. Well, I have to confess something to you as we begin our Advent series. Okay, I love Christmas. I am missing one thing, though. I do love that this is the time when Starbucks switches to the red cups. I don't get to have the Starbucks experience like I used to have. But anyway, if you go to Columbia or Charleston and go to Starbucks, you know what I mean. This is now red cup season at Starbucks, but I love Christmas. I love the trees. I love everything about it. This is one of my favorite holidays. It's great. And I love the fact that what we're doing this year, we've been thinking and praying through this. We're going to use this quote from C.S. Lewis. In his books, there's a, there's a written explanation of this, but in case you haven't read it, just very quickly, in one of his books, the last book in the Chronicles of Narnia series, there, there's a situation, we'll just call it that, and please, it's a, it's a book, so suspend your disbelief here. They, they encounter a portal, to, for they're in Narnia, to another world, and they're trying to figure out what this portal's like, and it's actually kind of like a stable and they kind of come through, and they're in this stable, and then all of a sudden they look out, and there's this whole world out there, and so they realize, wow, the stable, and for some of you, this is going to be neat, there's this actually line in the movie, or in the book, where they say, wow, the, uh, it's bigger on the inside than it is on the outside, which is really fun for some of you. Anyway, and they are expressing their wonder at this, and then one of the characters says this great quote, and it's on the cover of your bulletin here, it's, wow, well, you know, once in our world, too, There was something in a stable bigger than our whole world. And then she just moves on. I love how C.S. Lewis has kind of put those little nuggets in there for those of you who have the ears to hear. He's like, oh, wow. Hmm, something in a stable in our world that was bigger than our whole world. And that's our theme for Advent this year. What happened in that Bethlehem stable is bigger than our whole world. So what we're going to do today is we're going to look through several different passages through Advent. Today we're actually going to be in the Old Testament book of 1 Kings. I'm sure when you think of a Christmas passage, immediately you thought, man, I hope Pastor Sean preaches in 1 Kings for Christmas. Okay, thank you for the charity laughter. I do appreciate that. So here's what's going on in, in 1 Kings. Why we're using this for an Advent for a Christmas sermon. Solomon, the king, the son of David has built the first temple, this magnificent, glorious, awesome structure. It's magnificent. It's ornate. And when it's done, he has this huge, wonderful, glorious worship service. Solomon has prayed this wonderful prayer. And then when he's done praying that prayer, they dedicate the temple and they have another worship service. They sacrifice all these animals. And he's in this prayer before all this, though, he's asking God to meet his people at this temple. He's asking God to receive their worship. He's asking God to do something real. Lord, meet us here. Receive our worship. Don't just let this be a bunch of empty ritual and expensive sacrifices That's not important. Will you meet your people here? Will you do your work of grace? Will you hear? Will you forgive? That's the context of his prayer. And it's right in the middle of that prayer our verses come from. We're going to look at just a couple verses from the middle of his prayer. So remember, he's praying with these verses. So look with me, if you will. It's printed for you in your bulletin. 1 Kings chapter 8, verse 27 through 30. This is God's word. But will God indeed dwell on the earth... Behold, heaven 
and the highest heaven cannot contain you, how much less this house I have built. Yet have regard to the prayer of your servant and to his plea, O Lord my God, listening to the cry and to the prayer that your servant prays before you this day, that your eyes may be open night and day towards this house, the place of which you have said, My name shall be there, that you may listen to the prayer that your servant offers towards this place, and listen to the plea of your servant and of your people Israel when they pray toward this place. And listen in heaven at your dwelling place. And when you hear, forgive. This is God's word. Before we go to it, let's go to him in prayer. Oh, Father God, we thank you for your word. We thank you. We can come before you in prayer. Thank you that we can have confidence you will hear. So, Lord, we ask that you would come and once again build us up by your word through your spirit. Would you come, show us truth. Show us our sin. Show us our deep need show us our our need for you and your gospel and would you bring it lord would you show us how everything we search for the longings of our heart are found in the gospel of jesus christ how would you do this lord in jesus name amen well, boys and girls please make sure that you have uh, your children's bulletin you have your own translation in there and a place you can take notes and ask uh, pastor sean questions I want to give you the theme of today before we move on so you know what's going to happen. Here's what we're going to talk about today. Christmas is bigger than our whole world because God came down to be with us. God as a baby is bigger than we can imagine. But he's also bigger than our need and he's bigger than our sin. So let's jump in. See, God is bigger than our imagination. We're again in the middle of a prayer here. And in verse 27 where it starts out, Solomon is struggling in prayer. He's struggling with the concepts of this prayer. Have you ever struggled in prayer? Have you, have you ever just been so tough what's going on in prayer and trying to, trying to weigh these issues and just take your heart to God? Have you ever struggled in prayer? If so, Solomon is there with you he is struggling finding prayer difficult because in this prayer the part we didn't read right before this he praised god for how lofty he is he praised god for how faithful how wonderful how exalted how magnificent how wonderful he is and now in our text he's struggling with that he's asking the question how can a god that great how can a god that exalted how can a god that huge as we would say how can that god dwell on earth in this building he basically exclaims look all of creation cannot contain this god how much less this building i've built because god is bigger than his imagination solomon is quite literally confessing we cannot put god in this box he's too big This is a God who destroys our categories. This is a God who bursts out when we try to contain him. This is a God who, to use a really big theological term, is too transcendent to ever be contained in an edifice on earth. Ever for us to come and connect with him, he's too big. Unless he stoops down to come to us. To connect with us. Which is what he did in that temple. And Solomon is amazed by that grace. 
this prayer reflects Solomon going, this is amazing that you're so big and yet you come and put your name on this place. That if we use this means of grace, this temple, this point of connection, you will meet us. It's amazing. Boys and girls, I don't want you to miss this. Look with me at your translation of verse 27. Here's what Solomon is saying. He says, God, will you really live with us? Outer space can't hold you. You're bigger than your creation. This temple I built can't hold you. See, boys and girls, God's too big. He can't dwell in this little building. God can't dwell in this. I know some well-meaning Sunday school teachers have probably said to you, now don't run in church. It's God's house. God doesn't live here. It's, he's too big. He can't fit. And so the thought for King Solomon, boys and girls, that somehow this God is in this temple, in this building, just blew his mind. Oh, and for all of us, Solomon's question should be on our lips this time of year. Especially at Christmas, we should ask this question. The incarnation, the birth of Jesus Christ, we hear it so often, we become so used to it, don't we? It should blow our minds. Either thinking of Jesus as a baby or thinking of Jesus as a full-grown man. How can God be in there? I want to give you an example of this because we're, we're a visual society. So I'm going to give you a picture of this, okay? I want to, boys and girls, I want to ask you a question. I'm going to show a picture. You may have to help mom and dad. Who's this? Who is this, boys and girls? It's the genie from Aladdin, right? Do you remember when we first meet the genie in Aladdin? One of the things, how he describes himself, do you remember? He, 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 he says to Aladdin, he says, I have phenomenal cosmic power. And what's the next line? Anybody remember? Any bitty living space. That's right. That's what he says. And the whole movie is, I have this great power, but it's a trap. Being part of your world, being forced out of this spiritual world to interact with you people is a trap. It's a curse. It's a prison for me. But for God, the incarnation wasn't a trap. It was a choice. He took that phenomenal cosmic power and he put it in an itty-bitty living space to be with us, to break into our world. And the thought of that should blow our imagination. It's amazing. The eternal Son chose to set aside His glory. As we just sang, He emptied Himself of His majesty so He could be with His people, so He could serve them. In our text, Solomon can't fathom how God could somehow be in a building on earth, but that's exactly what you and I get to see in the Lord Jesus Christ. God on earth with us. Oh, the God of glory broke into history as a person. God was a baby in a stable in Bethlehem. That is bigger than our whole world. God came down to be with us. But God's also bigger than our need. And hear this this morning. Because I know that so often we come to church and we put on a smile and we, everything's good. But I know many of you are carrying heavy burdens this morning. God is bigger than your need and your burden. Let's see that wonderful truth. Look with me at verse 28 of Solomon prays. He says, Yet have regard to the prayer of your servant and to his plea, O Lord my God. This is one of the most amazing verses in Scripture. We skip right over it. I know because it doesn't seem very amazing at first. But it's incredible. 
That description of God in verse 27 is true. All that stuff he's prayed before that is true. God is transcendent. He's high. He's lofty. He's exalted. He cannot be contained by us. Anything we do to fence him in can't work. We cannot obligate this God to perform for us. We have no control over this God. But verse 28 begins with Solomon doing just that. He says, yet you have to answer. We can assume upon this God. We can insist that this God act. That's the kind of language Solomon uses here. He insists this God who's so big and so glorious, he can't be contained, yet he stoops to be with us. In the temple, God basically invites his people to be in his life. He's transcendent, but he says, I am also intimate. I'm right here with you. Come and be in my life. That building was an invitation for God saying, come I want to be with you. I want to know you. He says, come to me. Because I know you have needs. I know you have burdens. I know you have hurts. And my power is bigger than your need. And here's a point of connection. The God who's so transcendent in verse 27, he can't be contained, is the God who can be intimate in prayer in verse 28. Do you know God like that? This is a perennial problem in Christianity. We, people tend to go to the extremes. And so you have, your very, you have your transcendent Christians who are very much in God is big and God is holy and God is powerful and God is pure. And he's going to get you. So you better watch out. You better be holy and clean and pure. And don't be, you're smiling. And you have over here, and right, God is love. God is with us. Oh, man, don't, don't worry about that sin and holiness stuff. God came as a man, man. It's awesome. You can have God, right? God doesn't care. And the truth is between both those two, because guess what? God is transcendent and holy, and he will mess you up. Or you can confess that, and he will mess Jesus up for you, and you can live in his love. And then you can say, oh, I need to be holy because this God is holy. There's this balance here. And I'm, I'm belaboring this point because every one of us in the room falls on one of those extremes somewhere. That's our default setting. We either think God is out to get us or God doesn't care about holiness anymore. One of those two. And in the incarnation, God brings that together and says, yes, I care about both. So much so I came to be with you. I'm intimate, but I'm also transcendent. I'm powerful and mighty. And we see that in a baby. Boys and girls, I, I, I want you to see this. Look with me at your verse 28. Here's how Psalm is praying. He basically says, but you've got to hear my prayer right now. And boys and girls, as you look at that, you're probably thinking, what's the big deal? Because that's how you talk to mom and dad, isn't it? I mean, do, do mom and dad have to spend great amounts of time teaching you how not to interrupt? How not to impose your will on them? Or, or do they have to teach you how to interrupt and how to impose your will on them, right? No, boys and girls come to parents all the time saying, you've got to fix this right now. No one else can, because that's what parents are for. Well, guess what? Solomon knows that that's what God is for. And so he comes as a child and says, you've got to answer this prayer. There's no one else who can do it. His transcendence and his power means he can meet our needs. We can go to him and we can be abrupt because he makes a point of connection with us. So God, you've got to help me. You can go to this God in prayer because his transcendence does not destroy his intimacy with us. 
Solomon knows that. Solomon knows that God is intimate with his people. Five times in this short little passage of verses, he calls out for God to listen to him. And then he begs that God would see his people. If you were to be in a conversation with someone, and you were to beg them to listen to you, and you would beg them to see you, what are you asking? You're asking that they understand you, aren't you? You're asking that they would see this situation, understand what I'm going through. Solomon is begging for God to understand his people. To get us, to get our struggles. Solomon is begging that God would understand, would come to us. Dear Christian, do you see that's exactly what we get in the Lord Jesus Christ at Christmas? The incarnation. God enters our story to understand our lives, to get it. Jesus was fully human. He's been there. Fear, insecurity, doubt, temptation, disappointment, aches, pains, feeling like you don't fit in this world. Who am I supposed to be? Christ has been there. Young people, hear me. Christ went through puberty. He lost his mind for a couple years too. He's been there. He knows it. As we would say without any hesitation about a person, we could say about Jesus Christ. He's been there, done that. He knows what it's like. He understands us. Christmas is bigger than our whole world because God has come down to understand us. Solomon begged, hear me, see me, understand us. And Jesus Christ said, okay, I will and I do. There's an early 20th uh, century Christian writer and thinker named uh, Dorsey, Dorothy Sayers, very famous writer. And she was a Christian and the idea of the incarnation got into her head and she could never let go of how amazing the incarnation was. That Jesus Christ could be both man and God and come and be with us. And she has this great quote I want you to look at with me about the incarnation. She says this. He has himself gone through the whole of human experience. From the trivial irritations of family life and the cramping restrictions of hard work and lack of money to the worst horrors of pain and humiliation, defeat, despair, and death. When he was the man, he played the man. He was born in poverty and died in disgrace and thought it was worth while. Dear flock, look at the incarnation and realize God is listening. That God understands and you can go to him and he is bigger than your needs. He sees you, he understands you, and he loves you. Because Christmas is bigger than our whole world because God came to be with us. So God's bigger than our imagination. God's bigger than our need, but he's also bigger than our sin. I mean, it's good to be heard. It's, it's good to really be understood by somebody, but, but we need more. And Solomon knows that. So after all that asking for God to hear, after all that asking for God to understand, he gets to the main thing at the very end of verse 30. He says, forgive your people. You know, if there's a problem between you and another person, maybe it's going on right now, a personal conflict, maybe it's one in the past that's been recent, it's still raw. If you're in the midst of that conflict, it's, it's really good to listen. 
It's really good to have understanding. It's really good for y'all to have open communication. But eventually, the conflict is only going to end when someone apologizes and asks for forgiveness. You can have all the understanding in the world, can't you? But eventually, you've got to get to the issue. Solomon gets that. He understands that. And we need to get this. There is a conflict between God and his people. There is a conflict between a holy, righteous, transcendent God and an addicted to sin, wallowing in sin people like us. We can sum up his whole prayer when we recognize this conflict. Solomon realized he could not get a grip on this God. He could not earn or manipulate this God by his works, and so he confesses, not because I made this awesome temple, hear me, Lord, but because you're great and you're holy and you're loving and you're kind. Please hear, please forgive. That temple that Solomon is praying over never saw forgiveness. The book of Hebrews tells us that the blood of animals cannot take away sin. There was never any forgiveness in that temple. There was just a postponement of God's judgment. Ultimately, Solomon's prayer is not answered until we get to the temple that was the Lord Jesus Christ, who himself said, destroy this temple and in three days I'll rebuild it. And the incarnation of Jesus Christ is the foundation of that temple. It's where that forgiveness begins. I want you, again, to give you a second chance here. Think of the last time you were in a conflict with someone. Again, maybe it's going right now. That conflict isn't over until somebody gets vulnerable and takes the blame. Someone has to. Someone has to eventually get to the point where you say, you know what, this, at least this much was my fault. I'm sorry. And you've got to take that responsibility and take that pain. One of you stops trying to win and begins to reconcile. You let your defenses down. You become vulnerable to the other person. And you even get to the point where you say those hardest words ever. It was my fault. See a real relationship with another person. The kind that lasts and that gives significance to your life. Is not possible unless you become vulnerable with that other person unless you become vulnerable to letting them hurt you, unless you open yourself up enough where they have enough intimacy with you, they can hurt you. Unless you have that kind of vulnerability, you're not really in a relationship with somebody. And what happened in that stable in Bethlehem on that Christmas night so long ago? It's bigger than our whole world because in the incarnation, God became vulnerable to us. The high lofty, exalted God dwelt in a baby to end the conflict. He became someone we could hurt. And as Jesus Christ took our sin on that cross, as he was counted among the sinners, he took the blame for the conflict. And with his body and blood, he said, it is my fault. And so God said, then I will punish you for it. And he did. In Jesus Christ, God became breakable. He became killable. So he could end the conflict by bringing us back into relationship, by dying to save us. 
Christmas is bigger than our whole world because God came down to be with us, to be killed by us so we could live before him free. We don't live in a vacuum. We don't worship on a Sunday morning in a vacuum, and I don't preach in a vacuum. We are affected by current events. And the gospel speaks to current events. And I would be remiss as your pastor if I did not go here on this week. And so young people especially visiting from college hear this. Y'all all know about Ferguson. Unless you have been, you know, in a cave on Mars with your eyes shut and your hands in your ears. You, you know about Ferguson, Missouri. We used to live about 25 minutes from there um, in St. Louis. We all have opinions about Ferguson, probably strong opinions. But there is something going on there that's deeper than our opinions. A, a more fundamental truth. There is a serious racial conflict in our nation. It's more profound than racism. It's deeper than that. It's bigger than the needs of social justice and, and, and bad systems of, of, of government and, and oppression. It, it's all those buzzwords. It's bigger than that. I don't know what to call it, but it's there, and you know it. And this week showed that it's there. This week reminded us that it's, there's something big there. One of the reasons that Christmas is bigger than our whole world one of the reasons that the incarnation of Jesus Christ is the answer to this longing prayer of Solomon is that Christmas means that God is no longer aloof or uninvolved in our world. I heard another pastor say, I can't remember who to give credit to, he says the message of Christmas warms our hearts precisely because it's about so much more than warming our hearts. It affects our whole world because it's bigger than our whole world. Since we encounter God in a person, we absolutely call on people to repent of their sin and to believe on the Lord Jesus Christ so they can be saved and avoid hell which they deserve for their sin. But with the exact same breath, Christmas forces us to say, in Jesus' name, there should be safer streets, there should be more just systems of government, and there should be a better way for people to live than what happens here. Now, as soon as I say that, many of you in this room become uncomfortable. You might even be a little defensive right now. There might even be a little bit of anger in your heart towards how the media covered Ferguson or what some people were saying about it. Maybe you're even mad at me for bringing it up. Why you got to ruin Christmas? But I challenge you in this moment, in public worship, where the very presence of God is promised with his people, look into your hearts and ask yourself, Am I judging or looking down on a different class of people? And that's why I'm angry. Do I despise a different class of people and that's why I get bitter when I see the news? Do I think I'm better than those people and so I blame them? Just this week, I was reading an essay by Tim Keller, a PCA pastor in New York. And he quotes from Martin Luther, the great reformer. Luther basically in a Christmas sermon asks some questions like this 500 years ago. Do you know what a stable smells like? Do you know what that family would have smelt like and probably looked like after giving birth in a stable and then going about the city for food the next morning? If they were standing next to you, 
how would you have felt about being that close? What would you have thought about them? That's Martin Luther asking those questions. And so looking at those questions, Keller asks this wonderful, he says, what is Martin Luther getting at by asking those questions? He's reminding us that there were people in Bethlehem who looked down on, who thought they were better than, who judged as an underclass, as dirty, as less than human, or at least not as good as me, even despised Joseph, Mary, and Jesus Christ instead of seeing them as their neighbors. The incarnation of Jesus Christ. What we celebrate at Christmas is bigger than our whole world because God in flesh, God walking among us, being poor, being part of the underclass, being despised and rejected by other people means that we who claim Him as our Lord don't get to treat people that way anymore. We don't get to think that way about people anymore. We don't get to respond that way to people anymore. And it means that we should be bothered at our core when we see it happening to people. That's why Christmas is bigger than our whole world. I want to end with a quote. It made its way around the internet. You probably saw it. I shared it on Facebook earlier in the week and it went viral after that. Not my own quote, but the the quote I shared. This is from a man who plays in the NFL. He's actually from Rock Hill, South Carolina. His name is Ben Watson. He's an African-American on the New Orleans Saints, I believe. And, he, and he, uh, he sent this out on his Facebook page, I believe, after Ferguson. Here's what he says. He says, I'm encouraged because ultimately the problem is not a skin problem. It's a sin problem. Sin is the reason we rebel against authority. Sin is the reason we abuse our authority. Sin is the reason we are racist prejudice and lie to cover for our own sin is the reason we riot loot and burn but i'm encouraged because god has provided a solution for sin through his son jesus and with it a transformed heart and mind one that's capable of looking past the outward and seeing what's truly important in every human being the cure is not education or exposure it's the gospel and so finally i'm encouraged Because the gospel gives mankind hope. The gospel. That Jesus Christ lived the life we should have lived. That he died the death we should have died. And that in his resurrection we are forgiven and free before the Father when we confess Jesus as Lord. That is bigger than our whole world. And it can affect our whole world if we will believe it yet again this Christmas. So this Christmas, look at the candles, look at the tree. And then look to the cross and repent and believe yet again. Let's pray together. Oh, gracious.